0: Good morning, <clears throat> glad to be with you guys this morning up here. Uh, usually I'm down with our middle schoolers down in our student union building. And uh, about once a month I get up here and, and a few times I get up here up here and preach. And so um, glad to be here. This, this is a really cool uh, section that we're gonna be looking at today in Revelation. Um, if you've been following along with us, you'll see that we just turned a corner. We've been looking at some of the letters that were written about, uh, that were written to some key churches uh, in uh, the first um, third, second third chapters of Revelation, and those were letters that that were written to specific places. But just like we see in the New Testament, we as even churches today can gather uh, encouragement and wisdom and guidance from those letters for our church uh, here. And so we're turning a little bit of a corner, though, from kind of the more straightforward uh, visions of here's what I want you to write to um, here is some mind-blowing visions. I mean, to rewind back to the beginning, and we know that this is John, and uh, most scholars would, uh, and I would align with this, would um, assume that this is John, the disciple of Jesus, uh, the one that also wrote the Gospel of John. And here he is, uh, he's he's been brought into this space and area that no one can imagine without um, experiencing it. And so um, we're going to kind of look at a little bit of that today. Uh, But what I want you to do first is I want you to take out uh, your sermon page. I'll take a little exercise for you on that. Hopefully you got one. If you didn't, Just grab a piece of paper and a pen that's in front of you, borrow one from your neighbor. Um, Some of you may have a hard time doing this in your head, so that's why I want you to do it on paper, because you may have to make some choices. And so what I want you to do, it's at the top of your sermon page, it says, who or what do you love? I want you to take a moment, I want you to jot down 10 things. They can be people, places, things, whatever, just spend a little bit of time doing that. I won't give you forever. I'll just give you about 30, 40 more seconds. So think quick. Those first things that come into your mind, maybe don't show your uh, significant other that's here with you in case you forget to put them on there. (laughs) That's a hint if you haven't put them on there. Scratch out your number one and... All right, what I want you to do when you've got those is I want you to just take a moment and just show those to the person sitting next to you. Uh, just, just swap those uh, and just, just show a couple of things. Who or what do you love? Maybe it's pizza at a specific restaurant. Maybe it's a sports team, whatever it is. All right, hopefully you shared that, um, and, uh, and so uh, we're going to kind of set that aside, the, the purpose of that, but um, I want us to go ahead and we're going to dive straight in to the first couple of verses of chapter four of Revelation, and, um, and then we're going to kind of backtrack and define some stuff of what we're going to talk about today and what we're going to look at today. So if you get to Revelation chapter four, starting in verse one, and here's what it says. And this is uh, John speaking, remember. After this, I looked. And there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. At once, I was in the spirit. I, I don't even know how to describe what that is, but he's just caught up, right? Not like walking here looking at things, right? He's caught up in a spiritual realm that we can't understand or, or it's really difficult to describe, I would think. At once I was in the Spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. With these two verses, we're immediately taken to a new place. John's taken to a new place and we go with him. Um, we're immediately taken to the throne room of God in heaven. Imagine... As we kind of go through this, the sights and the sounds that would be there. John tries to describe some here in a little bit, but just think about the awe of the place. Think about the most reverent, most respectful, the maybe the, the biggest auditorium with the you know, you know, with the the most smallest focal point, and just everything is pointed towards God. I, I don't know. I, I can't I can't quite comprehend it. But here's what I know is that the things that, that John is writing, these visions, are really similar to some of the visions that some of the prophets in the Old Testament wrote Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel. One of my favorites, uh, favorite sections of the Bible is Isaiah chapter 6. I saw the Lord. He was high and seated up, and his train, the train of his robe filled the temple. And this isn't just like a wedding train. This is so big. It fills. The, the glory of the Lord fills the place. All right, so, but what I want to do is I want to talk about what's taking place here. Before we just dive right into the rest of chapters four and five, I want to talk about what's happening here, and the core of what's happening here is worship. <coughs> worship. How do you define worship? Think about that for a second. You don't have to say it out loud, but just think about for a second. If you were asked to define worship, how would you define it? A way that I've done it for a long time is to take the word worship and to kind of cut it down and break it back down to the words that um, it originally came from. And if you take worship, cut it in half, it's the idea of worth and script. You want to swap those, ascribe worth. When you ascribe worth to something, you are worshiping it. And you can do that vocally or you can do that um, uh, in your thoughts. You can also do it writing it down, but you can also do it with your life. The things that you ascribe much worth to, the things that you put a lot of worth on, are the things that you worship in your life. And you can probably examine your life and kind of figure out what those things are. What are the things that I do in my free time? How do I spend my days? What is that thing that I have to do compared to what is the thing that I cannot wait to do? There's a little simple ways to try and figure that out. Um, but worship is something that's been going on throughout the whole of history. And it's something that, that we do here weekly. This time of worship, and so it's important for us to understand what it is. So I just want to do a quick biblical overview of, of worship. Okay, so in your in your on your sermon page, you'll see I've got a few little notes, and we're we're gonna fly through those. Okay, um, in the beginning, God was with Adam and Eve, right? That was them spending time with God, and in that time, they were able to worship Him. That that. That place, that intersection between humanity and eternal, right? That was worship. And then when sin entered the picture, God made the first sacrifice so that they could still be with him. And so then after that, so that's the first one is that uh, in the beginning that God was with, with them. The second one would be something really simple, and that is altar. Um, Before we get into some of the rules that you see uh, a few chapters into the Bible, we hear of stories like Job that probably took place a little bit before the law was laid down. And the way that Job exercised his sacrifices by going to an altar and putting sacrifices down for his whole family. So this idea of this altar, this place to go where you intersected with the eternal. The second thing was after kind of... The, the law was coming into its own with the tabernacle. Tabernacle, really simple, portable temple, okay? Portable place of worship. <clears throat> the third one is the temple, and that came with uh, the kings, and they wanted, to, they wanted to put a place where was, that was a permanent home for God on earth. In my head, it's kind of such a warped understanding of who God is and what he needs to have a permanent home on earth. But that's what they wanted to do. And the thing about the tabernacle and the temple is it was decorated much like the Garden of Eve. They, they decorated it with fruit trees, and they decorated it with places. And there was a most holy place that was like the, the hot spot of God that you could go to, and you could be in worship with your life. And then when we have Christ, Christ comes, and when when he's described as coming, he's described as tabernacling with them. He made his dwelling with them. So, So by Christ's coming, he made that intersection possible. And through his death and resurrection, he made that possible for us to have God in our hearts. And all of a sudden, we are the portable temple. And so we find ourselves at this point looking at what does it look like in eternity? I think a lot of times we think of this idea of heaven and this idea of earth, and we think about them as like kind of like two different places, and they are, but I think the same way that we think about heaven is like this physical place that you can go and, and it looks like this, we assume it's exactly the same way with heaven, and, and I would say, what if they existed at the same time in different realms? We see throughout Scripture about uh, the, the spiritual side of things that God knows. I mean, I, I think that's sometimes the difficulty we have when we look up the stars and go, well, how far is, how far is heaven, right? And then the more, the more uh, telescopes we get that look farther out there, we're like, well, man, heaven must be farther out there because they still haven't found it. That's because we're looking in the wrong place. And the intersection we have between heaven and earth is what we find through Christ. Okay, so, um, oh, and then I also want to say that throughout that experience of worship, something that was always key with worship was sacrifice. Because of sin, we couldn't go and worship with God. We were caused to be separate Sacrifice is part of worship. But what you see in Hebrews is that the sacrifice in the Old Testament didn't take away sin. All it kind of did was push it forward. If you've ever had a college debt and you have to get a forbearance and you have to push it forward, I can't pay it today. I, I have to wait until... This job or that payment's done or whatever. I have to forbear it. I have to put it ahead, right? That's what the sacrifice system was in the Old Testament, a, a, a system of forbearance. But it was grounded in conviction and belief because you didn't just do that just because this is what you're supposed to do. You did that because you believed that one was coming that would be able to take those sins away. So, um, Christ was that ultimate sacrifice, and we heard John the Baptist call uh, Jesus, behold, here comes the Lamb of God, the one who's going to take away all the sins of the world. So Jesus is the Lamb, according to John the Baptist. All right, so um, as we kind of turn that corner back, and we're going back to Revelation chapter four, I just want to ask you something. How would you describe a sunset to someone who's blind since birth? Think about it for a second. What description would you use? I thought about it a lot in the last couple of weeks, and I thought, well, you know, they can understand size. And, and so we could use some with size, and the sun is not something you can fit in your hands. It's not something you can wrap your arms around. It's something Bigger than this land that we're walking on. You, could, you can kind of describe it, but what about colors? Maybe you can associate them with flavors or smells. But it's not exactly the same as seeing it. And so I think that's the difficulty when we look at Revelation sometimes is, is we look at it expecting to have twenty twenty vision. And we're frustrated because some of it doesn't make sense. Um, So as we look, there's a couple things I want you to keep in mind. One, we already know that Jesus Christ has won, right? Jesus Christ has won the battle, so whatever we read in Revelation is going to line up with that. We've got nothing to fear as we look at Revelation. And the second thing is this idea of symbolism, that's, that's done in apocalypse or literature. I know that Brian's talked a little bit about that. But one key thing I want you to remember is when you hear us read or say the word seven today, I want you to think in terms of perfection, completeness, perfect. So hopefully that'll help us to kind of understand at least a, a portion of what this vision is. So going back to verse two, At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. we need to take in these descriptions that John has. He has no better way to describe it than the things he's seen on earth. Surrounding the throne, oh, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Perfection. Also, in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass. Picture the largest body of water you've ever seen and imagine it being something like glass. Can't quite put your finger on what it is. It's not water, it probably wasn't glass. But this is what comes to John's mind. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures. and they were covered and, and they were covered with eyes, in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. Can you you see John's... He doesn't want to put anything definitive on these. He doesn't want to say, yeah, it was a lion with, with some wings and a bunch of eyes. He said, it was like a lion. It was face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying... Okay, I want to stop right here because there's two things that I want us to notice. One is that God was in the center of their worship. The second thing is that the worshipers were consumed by their worship of God. That was their existence. Okay, now what I want to do is I want to ask our middle school and high schoolers, they have no idea I'm going to do this, and I meant to talk to you guys about it before, and you guys, just stand up and come to the middle with me. I'm gonna come right, right now. Uh, if you've gone to camp with us the past couple of years, I'm gonna have you come down here with me. And Jacob thinks he knows what it is, and so that's good. Oh, he doesn't know what it is. Okay, I thought he said something. Else. All right, so um, we're gonna have a scripture on the screen, and uh, there's this thing I like to do when we go to camp at sunset, and. Um, <laughs> And uh, every day at the end of a camp day, we have um, our youth group time where we get together and we talk about the day, we pray for each other um, and kind of challenge each other, right? And at the very end when we're done, we've said our, our final prayer as a group for the night, then we do this thing. And I have this tradition that I go through this, I say it in the same way every time there's this thing I like to do, if you know it, will you join in, right? So here's what I want to ask. I want you guys to join in with us, All right. You may not know it at first, but I guarantee by the end you'll know it. And so uh, I want to ask you guys to stand up, and the scripture is in your sermon page, and um, if not, it's going to be right up there on the screen, and, and if you know it, and you want to, you can close your eyes, because it's a really cool sound that you'll hear, okay? So uh, we're going to start quiet, and we're just going to recite it a few times until we, until we build Louder and louder, okay? So we're going to start. So you guys ready for this? There's this thing I like to do at camp. If you know it, you join in with me. So repeat after me really quietly, or, or join with me. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. A little bit louder. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. A little bit louder. Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. A little bit louder. Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. A little bit louder. Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. A little bit louder. Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Last time. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, and is, and is to come. All right, amen. You guys can sit down, you guys can sit down. Thank you. I wanted you to have a glimpse of what it might sound like in that throne room. The the reverberations from those living creatures, sounds like rushing waters, all with God at the center. Whenever the living creatures give glory, verse nine, honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him, who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. All right. Then we turn to chapter 5, and we see, we see this strange kind of situation. The Lord is sitting on the throne, and there's a scroll For those of us that didn't live 2,000 years ago, a scroll would have been just like a letter, right? A message. Um, And this scroll had seals on it. And really, really important messages back in the day, uh, they would require witnesses to come and say, yeah, it's been sealed, and only the person that this is intended for is going to get to see it. And so we need witnesses to come. And, And what they would do is they would drip hot wax along the edge where it was folded over. And then each one of the people that were witnessing would stamp their wax signet ring, uh, their stamper or their ring, into the hot wax. So it had their crest or their name or whatever. And then this particular scroll has seven. Again, John using that perfection, right? It's a perfect seal. It's intended for a recipient. And the idea was... If somebody went and peeked, it would break the wax, it would break the seal, and you would know that the message got out in a way that it wasn't intended. So here we are in a situation, but I think it's a little bit different than that. It's that plus it's in the Lord's hand. It's in God's hand. And the average person is not going to just walk up there and take something out of his hand unless they're supposed to get it. And they're saying, Who can break the seal? Who can open the seal? And John starts weeping. First of all, we we aren't for sure if we know, if he has any understanding of what's in the scroll. But in his spirit, in his emotion, it says, I weeped and I weeped because I looked around and there wasn't somebody that could open the scroll. What was this message? That needed to come out. And says in verse 5, then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Okay, I want to pause there. So this is what John heard. The elders said it to him: Don't worry about it, don't cry. There's going to be one that can open it. He is the lion of Judah. It it harkens back to this idea of King David from Judah. There was a king and this idea that was all throughout the Old Testament of this messianic redeemer that would come and with military might save everybody. And so I'm sure as John hears this, he's expecting to see this triumphal entry of the one that can open the seal, come in. Maybe not as a lion, maybe on a white horse with a sword. He's coming in, military might, think strong. Verse six, then I saw a lamb. Not just a sheep, which would have been usually reserved for like the lowest of creatures or maybe the, the dimmest of creatures or the, the, the most tame of creatures, But it's a baby, it's a lamb. So it's even more innocent, right? It's even more weak in the world's eyes. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. So traditionally, whoops, didn't mean to hit my mic, but traditionally they would do that and they would let the blood out onto the sacrifice. Standing at the center of the throne. Wait a second. How can that thing stand if it's been slain? Encircled by the four living creatures and elders. Obviously, we know, we know the story. We know that this is Jesus, and we know that this is another way to describe him. He is the slain lamb, but who's very much alive. John heard, lion of Judah. He sees slain lamb that's living there. Another thing I want us to note is that Jesus is worthy, and he's able to take the scroll. He's the only one that can take it, and he rules out of the strength of his sacrifice. We talked a little bit about sacrifice earlier. He rules out of the strength of his sacrifice. It says in chapter 5, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain not because he's a military conqueror, not because because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Uh, I loved uh, Brian's uh, thing about communion earlier because when Angie and I did missions in Italy, sometimes there would only be a few of us, a handful, four, five, six, seven people And the thing that would bring us so much comfort and joy as we were taking communion was knowing that believers all over this planet were taking it that same day. Some of them at the same time when we had our services in the evening. We would meet sometimes the exact same time you guys were. And we'd be taking communion around the same time that you guys were and many other believers in Tulsa and thousands of other believers across the U.S., and millions of believers across the world. And there was this, there was this way for us to be included. Um, You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They, enriched the, they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength. Jesus is worthy of glory, honor, power, and praise. And then we see in the last few verses we're going to look at today in Revelation chapter 7, 9 through 12, we see another glimpse of this throne room. And its description in the NIV is the great multitudes in white robes. So you can picture picture the sea of faces in white robes. John says, after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. No one can count those who will be with God to worship him. This is a multitude that no one could count. So we said, these are some things that we noted. God was in the center of their worship. So what can we do about that? God should be in the center of our worship. The second one, the worshipers were consumed by their worship of God. We must be consumed by our worship of God. Jesus rules out of the strength of his sacrifice. When we sacrifice, we become like Jesus, and that is how we conquer the enemy. Jesus is worthy of glory, honor, power, and praise. Jesus is worthy for you to give him all glory, honor, and power, and praise. And the fifth one no one can count those that will be with God to worship him. Tell others so that they can be part of that multitude. Don't put it off. I know it can be scary. I know there's times you feel that pit in your stomach because you're not for sure how somebody's going to receive it or how they're going to react afterwards. But on this day that's described in this passage, it's not going to matter how you felt. It's only going to matter where they are. Bring them with you so that they're part of the multitudes. Let us stand and pray and then we'll sing. God, I just want to thank you so much for this morning, this time of worship that this that takes place in song I know not all worship takes place in song but it's a means for us to have worship of you God I pray that you would speak to our hearts as we sing and praise your name Lord I pray that you continue to be with us this week as we try to center all of our worship on you and in the name of
1: Jesus we pray Series we've been you saw the text number up there inviting people to send in a question or two and there's just one question I want to tackle real quickly this morning and it's a good one it's you know, basically I'll summarize what's up with the with the animals and the beast that are described and that's a good question because we see those in, in Revelation and in in these chapters specifically we see a man an eagle an ox and a lion um, who are these creatures that come around and worship Jesus. And there was, there's actually a rabbinical uh, statement, something from the rabbis that they would say, and it was this, man is the greatest creation, eagle, the greatest bird, ox, the greatest domesticated animal, lion, the greatest wild animal. And so I think when we think about the creatures, we just think about great and powerful. And what do the greatest of all of the creation, what do they do? They worship Jesus. They fall down and worship Jesus, and so that's why when we read Revelation, there's no room left for pride in our hearts. There's nothing in us. We worship Jesus, too. He's the only one worth worshiping ever, and if you would, I want to pray for us, and um, we're not quite done yet this morning, but just want to say thank you so much for being here. If you would, would you stand, and let's just join our hearts in in praying this. God, we... uh, We just want to confess here altogether that we recognize that we are not worthy, that we are not great. You are great. You are worthy. And so even today, just in our hearts, we fall down and and worship you and we give everything good that we've ever been a part of. We recognize it's from you and we give that glory back to you. And we pray that this week, that everywhere we go, that we would just make sure that people aren't drawn and attracted to us, but to you, who's worthy of all the worship. In Jesus' name.